Attention Kingdom Hospital medical staff. Attention. Tonight we welcome a new member into the Keepers of the Kingdom. Attendance is mandatory unless you have better things to do. And don't forget, it's a secret. A secret everyone knows. This concludes your announcements. Stay tuned for ritual chanting and ceremonial apples. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King book club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Kahn, alongside CM Alexander. Hello, everyone. And, well, normally here's where I'd say Benjamin Graham, but Ben Graham is out today with his teeth. So instead, we have a special guest from the Drinking Age Movies channel on YouTube and the Drinking Age Movies podcast, the co-host, Paul Workman. Welcome, Paul Workman. Hi, everybody. Or should I say hello, constant readers in place of Ben? (laughs) Will he be mad about that? No, I don't think so. Okay. Uh, Hello, constant readers. And today we are covering episode six of Kingdom Hospital, The Young and the Headless. And we have CM leading our discussion. Take it away, CM. Thanks, Josh. First, our usual disclaimer, we are recording remotely, so things don't sound as great as I like to believe they normally do. So please bear with us. And before we get into the episode, since we do have an awesome guest on our show, Paul, uh, I am curious, what is your introduction to Stephen King? What's your favorite book? What's your favorite moment? How much do you love him? Okay. Uh, <laughs> that was so many wow. questions. Usually most interviews yeah. go one question at a time, but not here on Dairy Public Radio. I just want you to be prepared oh, for gotta, what's coming. Yeah. Got to get it done. Get it out of the way. I understand. My introduction to Stephen King as far as overall goes is I'm a movie guy, drinking age movies, of course. And um, most of my Stephen King introduction starts with his movies. I had seen countless of his movies. I think the first one I ever saw was probably Stand By Me. And that's one of those ones that I was probably a little too young to watch, but it was on cable, so it was nice and edited. My favorite book is either The Stand, which is just incredible. You guys did a wonderful job covering that. Or The Dead Zone. I love The Dead Zone so much. And the movie is incredible. The show is a lot of fun. My favorite Stephen King moment. Oh, boy. There's so many. I love that you're also a person who can't give one answer. Like Josh always gives me shit for answering with multiple things. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. My favorite, favorite Stephen King moment is the end of the book of The Shining. I love that moment so much. I don't like the Stanley Kubrick movie because of that moment. (laughs) (laughs) Same. Awesome. Those are all good answers. You passed the test and you can be on our episode. (laughs) All right. Last episode, Hook shows Draper his porn and brings her <laughs> into the Sally plot. Rolf and Paul continue to plot against Sally and Peter, and Stegman kills Elmer's twin brother, Frankie. So in this episode, once again, we get to meet a new character. I hope he doesn't die this episode. That was my note, because I assumed he was going to die, because that's usually what ah. happens. His name is Richard, and he's been sober for 30 days. Way to go, Richard. And he arrives at the local university to meet with the medical board. And Richard is an interesting guy. The most interesting thing about him is that his sponsor is Stephen King. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So Richard is there to check out the earthquake business. He's a seismologist. 
and we're going to catch up with him. Oh, Josh, you have a look on your face. <laughs> well, okay, so I I assume this has to exist because of science, but they say specifically that he is a seismologist who is an expert on fault-free earthquakes. Yeah, they do make a real specific point to tell you that. Because they we establish in, I think it's like episode two or three, they say that the hospital was built on a fault line, but then come to find out that can't be true because the earthquakes are only being contained to that property. Nothing outside of Kingdom Hospital is feeling any of these earthquakes whatsoever. I think it's because the hospital's fracking. It's <laughs> The old kingdom is an elaborate ruse to <laughs> drill for get, get, oil. get all that all that nice unrefined oil. Yeah. Yeah, I, I talked in the first episode about how it was a mill that burnt down, then it was a hospital that burnt down, but at one point it was a fracking place. <laughs> well is, is scrap the, that. Oh, a fracking place. <laughs> a fracking place. <laughs> <laughs> is is the old kingdom just the uh, the castle from Monty Python and the Holy Grail? <laughs> Does it continuously sink into the swamp? Yeah. The way episode three went, I wouldn't be surprised if that came to be. <laughs> Before we move on, I, I just had uh, one note. Did anybody notice who the dean of the university was? No. No. He's the cigarette smoking man from the X Files. Oh. What? The conspiracy just gets deeper. I I was so thrilled when when they started the episode. His name was the first name up there. William B. Davis I was like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. If the hospitals are rocking, don't come a knocking. No. Perfect segue. Oh earthquake, guys. There's <laughs> another earthquake. And while this is happening, Paul tries to kill Ant Bear, but chickens out. Hook, Draper, Sally. Bobby and Otto are still hanging in Hook's pad and they're drinking champagne. And I'm not sure why they're celebrating. I don't know, but I was really mad at the smash cut from the university to the uh, the hospital where they're celebrating with champagne because the guy that's introducing the cigarette smoking man to the seismologist makes a joke about California Cabernets and they smash cut and they're drinking champagne. I'm like, why? Why are they not drinking California Cabernets? <laughs> oh, that would have been perfect. As as someone who sells wine for a living, I was very mad at this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had one note that I made about that, that menacing scene between Paul and Antibus. Paul's definitely hurt animals before. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah definitely. Also, I realized that we're going to have the same... We have the Ben problem with Paul. We have a Paul on the show. <sighs> oh. And we usually have books where we have a Ben, but now we have a Paul on a Paul show. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, listening... Listening to the episodes before this has kind of thrown me off a couple of times. <laughs> Are you guys talking to me through the headphones? <laughs> this is really weird, and I don't I don't know why I thought this, but Josh, when you said we're going to have the same problem with Paul we have with Ben, I thought you were referring to his beard. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, also got a beard. Man, what are we going to do? <laughs> so say jo Josh's beard is way more unruly than mine right now. That's true. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Yeah, Paul is a messed up, creepy dude. And I assumed that maybe he just didn't, he was intimidated by Antibus. Ooh, that's the first time I called him by his name. You did? That is. Wow. Because maybe Ant Bear is like a silver bullet to werewolves. And if he scratches him, he'll ghost die. 
that tracks. All right, cool. Anyway, our group who are celebrating something hear Mary screaming or just, it seems like just Sally and Otto hear her. Does Otto hear her or is he just kind of placating her? According to Bobby, he's placating her, but I kind of bought it. And Sally, it seems like she does have that power to be a conduit because Hook heard Mary and even saw her when he was with Sally. That's true. And Otto's seen her before in the reflection of the monitors and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. But Sally is determined to figure out who Mary is, even if she has to do it all by herself. So she separates herself from the group, takes off to to go see Peter, and we're going to come back to her in a minute. I'll also say that after reading the the diary of Eleanor Drews that we talked about last episode, Sally's sense of urgency makes so much more sense to me. Because now having all of that information that we're not getting in the show about why she's so driven to figure this out, knowing that she has a personal investment prior to this about this incident, it just, I I remember early on, I was really annoyed with how aggressive she was, but I've since kind of come around to appreciating that sense of urgency that she carries. Kind of interesting because I listened to episode five before I watched any of the show. So having all that going in, I don't have the same perspective as you guys. It's kind of interesting that I've eased into it a little bit easier. Yeah. (laughs) So we cut to Stegman, who is approached by James. And I actually really like these guys' scenes together. Every time they're together, I think it's hilarious because Stegman always seems so exhausted by James and he seems oblivious. (laughs) And he has good news for Steg and Josh, this is where uh, we find out that the earthquakes are only affecting the hospital itself, not the surrounding community, which is interesting. And we don't really get anything beyond that at this point. I I like Stegman's offhanded comment. Well, good thing we're not in the neighborhood then. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I just like that he's repeating white coats to himself. Yeah. Because he's still hung up on that whole orderlies thing. I'm appreciating this. And we get... This episode, we get a lot more of it towards the end, but watching Stegman's descent into madness, it feels yeah. like it feels like we're really ramping in that direction, and oh, yeah. I'm very excited. <laughs> he does feel like he's probably going to be a loose cannon on down the road. Yeah. <laughs> also, have we discussed any conspiracies on the show? I, I don't remember if you have or not about uh, Ed Bagley Jr. being on this show and St. Elsewhere. No, no, we have not. All right, so St. Elsewhere was a show in the 80s that ran for about six seasons. It was a hospital show, and it starred Ed Bagley Jr. and Denzel Washington and a few other notable 80s names. It's mostly notable for the fact that the very last episode, the show was wrapping up, and they cut to this young boy playing with a snow globe. And the father of the boy comes over to him. He's like, I really don't understand all this uh, this autism, but... He loves playing with that snow globe. And then they like close it on the snow globe and the hospital from St. Elsewhere is inside the snow globe. As if to say the whole show took place in this young boy's imagination. I just like the idea of a writer having the idea of, I don't understand all this autism. That was like an actual line from the show. Yeah, it's like, that's the closing line. That's where this series needs to go out on is that line. Oh my goodness. So I... I just keep hoping that we're going to find out they're in the same universe. <laughs> oh, it's a really elaborate way to tie all of this into Under the Dome. Oh, uh, <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. 
<laughs> oh, it's so perfect. <laughs> so, Josh, if you hadn't given us all that information last episode on the book, I would be speculating like mad about why the earthquakes are only affecting the hospital. But I think we can safely assume it's all Stegman's fault. Agreed. Can we talk about um, Elmer sexually assaulting Massengale? Yeah, right? <laughs> this moment happened, and I was like, I cannot wait for CM to talk about this. Because she finally slaps him across the face, and I knew you'd be so happy. Uh, and she slaps him hard. Mm-hmm. That was just gross. <laughs> Do one of you want to walk us through that scene? I feel like you should. You're the one who... <laughs> Okay. I know how, how passionate you felt about <laughs> all of this interaction. <laughs> all right. This is a real visual bit, so I'm sorry our listening audience won't be able to see this, but Elmer comes creeping up behind her like this. Yep. Just like that. I <laughs> just wish like everyone that. could see this. <laughs> he, visual medium. Good job. <laughs> he brings a rose and he like puts it in front of her. And okay, fine. A little too close, a little creepy, but then he grabs her ass. Like full on force, nothing but gets yeah. just the most handful. He grabs it like he knows he will never grab it again. <laughs> God, and she just man, she rings his bell. She turns around and slaps the shit out of him. Way to go, Massingale, and tells him basically, like, you are a child. I don't date children. Your dad is head honcho. I care about my job. Fuck off. Although I do still wish that she just would have said, I am not remotely interested in you, not attracted to you, don't like you that way, leave me alone. I think that's a little more clear because she's offering up these excuses like, oh, you're dad. Oh, you're too young. And it's like those are barriers you can overcome. I think people kind of have that sense about things like that. But I just fucking can't stand you and you disgust me. Pretty clear, right? Yep. Yeah. I, I'm not sure that... That he would get it, though. His character doesn't really speak to that. Well, he's going to woo her with something even bigger and better in a little bit, and we'll get to it. (laughs) But before that, uh, something that is as disgusting in a different way, Stegman's mama, Brenda, (laughs) pays him a visit to tell him he's been a bad, bad boy. Did you notice the book that she brings him? I didn't notice anything because my eyes and ears throw up immediately every time they're in a scene together. So I don't even know what happened here. (laughs) A subtle way of building on this whole persecution against Stegman. She's bringing him a book on the Salem witch trials. (sighs) I thought that was just like a really fun, fun nod. And she comes in and she goes to put it in his desk drawer because he's not there and uh, pulls out a gun. And then she doesn't shoot him with it when he comes in. Lost <laughs> opportunity. And some something else interesting happens in this scene. Yeah, we find out that tonight is the night that he's joining the Keepers and that Brenda has destroyed the anesthesiology report for Mona Klingerman. Accidentally spilled coffee on it. Gross. So essentially, once he's a Keeper and the Keepers, the other Keepers will keep him safe? There's yeah. a lot of keeping. <laughs> who who keeps the keepers? Brenda. Mama. <laughs> Fair point. Gross. Brenda, mama. Brent. <laughs> Elmer and Gupta are shaving Elmer's twin to give him the same facial hair. And you guys, be honest with me. Is he... Is it just me? Or is Frankie starting to kind of look like Elmer? 
Do they just say it enough that I believe it now? <laughs> You've been gaslit into it. Oh, damn it. Yeah. I, he's still, the facial hair definitely helps kind yeah. of sell the bit because Elmer has stupid facial hair. And so it, it, it helps that transition. But yeah, I still, for the angles they use in that shot of him on the table helps sell it a little more. But any other time you see it, it doesn't look like him at all. We immediately cut to Rolf, who also has a dumb goatee. And for a minute, I was like, <laughs> Elmer's a triplet. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to stick up for dumb goatees right now. It was uh, 2004 and people are still listening to new metal. So, you know what? That's a really good point. <laughs> Let's talk about, about so- voyeurism. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We find out that our Greek chorus... Oh, wait, wait. No, sorry. Oh. We gotta... You're jumping a little bit. Because oh. there, there's an exchange between Rolf oh, and Paul Oh, I forgot here. about the Paul, the, that interaction. Yeah, Paul, you want to tell us about Paul? Yeah, so he, he's, he's in there talking to, to uh, the kid from uh, Sound of Music, Rolf. <laughs> he's trying to get him to set Rickman on fire. And he's like, hey, sure it'd be nice if we could find some rubbing alcohol maybe some matches somewhere if paul trapped ant bear last episode behind a beam underneath a beam and we know that paul can like choke you out why didn't he just pour rubbing alcohol on him and light it can he not touch things uh is he selectively corporeal maybe it goes into the suspension of disbelief in this world. And it's something that we had several conversations, uh, Ben and I going back and forth about what are the rules? Because in the scene where he is going to kill Antibus, he has that medical bag full of stuff. Mm-hmm. So it, it's just, it's that psychic magic, you know, that yeah. if, if you will something in the spirit world, you can obtain it same way Paul can switch clothes and have vampire fangs, all these little things that he just manifests in a realm that he has the most power in. Turn himself into Rolf's dead girlfriend. Yes. (laughs) Which he stops doing. And I'm kind of sad about that. Like, I feel like why is Rolf buying into this? If it's not Harriet, I think, well, as this episode, he, is getting more of that supernatural experience and we'll get to to it later, but there's a point in his experiences where he just is basically like, Oh, fuck it. I guess this is what I'm doing. <laughs> so Paul's just a good delegator, I guess. Is yeah. what it boils down. It's to be. Yes. I mean, other Paul. Sorry. <laughs> okay. We are at dinner with Richard, the earthquake doctor and the medical board. And he very responsibly asks the waiter to bring him ginger ale for the toast instead of champagne and of course, the guy can't manage that, and he mix up he mixes up the drinks, and I do feel really bad for this guy. Like this is awful and horrible. And we're gonna check back in with Richard later, and I'm sure he's gonna be fine. Just um, fine. Yeah. And we also find out. I just have to mention this because I liked it. James hates the word earthquake for some reason. <laughs> he's just tired of saying it. He's <laughs> he doesn't like the bad PR that earthquake has attached to it. That's not Operation Morning Air language. Should just call it Shaky Rainbows. <laughs> what? I, I don't know. <laughs> uh-huh. It sounded good in my head. <laughs> you at least have to say something that connects to what's happening. It'd be. It's more like 
ground shimmies. Well, rainbows are in the morning air after it rains, Josh. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> it's a real, real stretch. Real stretch. I'm going to stick with ground shimmies. <laughs> hey, Josh, now we can get to your scene. Hook asks Finally. Draper to move in with him. <laughs> that is a great way to phrase that. Yeah. Yeah. That It's really slick where he's like, you know, you can uh, use this place anytime you want. It's way better than all those on-call rooms, despite the fact that it's at least 50 miles away, apparently. <laughs> and they're having this really, this really adorable, like they have that will they or won't they chemistry. Uh, but we don't have time for all of that in just 13 episodes. So instead, our Greek chorus show up and spy on them having this really cute date where they're they're flirting, but they're saying that they can't responsibly try anything together because they both work really hard. She's just out of a relationship and they just don't want it to get complicated. But please mention the most important part that when she rejects him, he's like, okay, he doesn't Elmer her. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I do like, I, I think the the line he says somewhere in there was like, zombies can't trust their feelings. Yeah. And I thought that was like a really good way to acknowledge, like, I totally understand where you're coming from, be overworked and, and underrested and all that stuff. So yeah, we're good. But lucky for them or the viewing audience, it's not up to them. <laughs> I love how the course just magically sends them these pages. Okay, yeah. how did they pull that off? So they're not vampires, they're magicians? <laughs> I need to unpack this. <laughs> I don't, I'm really, I really hope, uh, I really hope we get some more information about Abel and, and Krista before this is all over. They somehow send these emails to the pagers that say, I need you, I just can't say it. And they both see it on their pager from the other person. And it creates like that, just that really cute moment where they both read it and then look at each other. And I just, I, I really liked that relationship building moment. It was a beautiful moment of vulnerability that ended in a kiss. Okay, I'm not going to get mushy again on this show. <laughs> <laughs> this is backtracking. I, I forgot to mention this. Uh, we talked about the shaving of uh, Frank to look like Elmer. And I had this terrifying moment where like you see that plan, like some plan is registering on Elmer's face. Mm -hmm. And my first thought was him having the idea of throwing this corpse off the roof. Oh, which is especially dark when you consider that his brother jumped from the roof. Oh man. Oh, I love that. I didn't think but of I that at all. I mean, I love it in a bad way. I didn't think about that at all. I thought he was going to do like a body switch and make Massengale think, like put Frank in the bed where they're doing the sleep study. So she thinks Elmer died. Oh, and so he'd be like oh. sleeping and she'd find him dead. Yeah, but he does something yeah. worse, which we'll we'll get to. Um, while all this is going on, Peter starts drawing Mary, we presume, and Rolf gets up to light Peter on fire which we don't have to worry about because Rolf is going to take 40 minutes to do this. And <laughs> he's, he's trying to find matches or something to light it. And Paul says something to him, like, just rub two sticks together. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> so Peter is aware that he is in danger. And while this is going on, Mary appears and she holds her hand out to him and tells Peter to come with her. Would you guys go with Mary? 
Hell yeah. I think her being so closely associated with Antipas that, I, yeah, most likely. I guess my first thought when she's like, come with me was, oh, he's going to die. She's going to ring her bell. So I, I would have been like, no, I'm good. And I would have been set on fire. <laughs> if she had one hand on the bell, I'd be like, whoa, cool it. <laughs> but after all that time, like the idea, because Rickman has been to this other plane of existence in the old kingdom. And uh, honestly, I bet he just wanted to get up and walk around for a bit. Nah, that's true. My next note just says fucking gesture. So can you tell where we're at? Oh, <laughs> uh, the kingdom finger parade. Yeah. My first question. So we were finally getting to the ceremony in some nondescript room within the hospital that uh, Stegman is going through the, uh, the initiation. My first thought was shouldn't Hook and James be there? It, James seemed to know about it because when they you catch up to him later, he says something about it. Yeah, but you'd think this was this is a big deal for somebody to be joining the keepers. You'd think all the keepers should be there for this. But who would? Uh, I guess some- James has a reason. Hook is just making out. But maybe Hook's supposed to be on call, and they yeah. just rotate initiations. I, I guess somebody's got to stay behind to watch the hospital. They can't all be there. <laughs> my fair. my burning question is. Nobody seems to like Stegman, and he's a terrible doctor, and a ton of lawsuits waiting to happen. Why are they bringing him into the Keepers? What's the motivation? Well, from Boston. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if you know that. Yeah, (laughs) I don't think he mentions it enough. Yeah, I don't think he has yet. (laughs) It's it's subtle. You have to really you have to turn the captions on to catch it. Yeah, I don't know. I think I mean when you see it, it seems like virtually everybody who's a physician at that hospital is a keeper. So I wonder if this is just how it works. Everybody, you you become a keeper or you don't last at that hospital very long. That doesn't make it special, though. Who gives a shit about being a keeper if just working at the hospital is what makes you a keeper? Also, keep in mind, even though we've seen Stegman be irresponsible, his track record and his reputation, he is a genius. Like He is a top here neurospecialist we've been very focused on the parts where he's fucked up but he's written tons of books he's he's taught a bunch like he is a very celebrated neurosurgeon also his mom seems to be in pretty deep with the keepers his so it's- gross <laughs> 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 It just gets grosser. It's just gross it, that you said it so matter-of-factly, and that makes me uh, so happy. I, I just I just feel like it's a nepotism thing. <laughs> a little gross. <laughs> Look, the original comment I was going to say was she was in pretty deep with the keepers, or vice versa. Oh! Wow. <laughs> Could one of you paint me a word picture about this very, this, like, the scene that we've been building up to episode after episode about the initiation ritual. It has, it has some, some ominous bits to it, especially coming from, we're seeing it from Stegman's perspective, really, because we've never seen this before. And everybody with the, the chanting and Lewis Traff, Elmer's dad is the one who is wearing a nifty top hat and initiating him with this sweet knife 
Which I feel like it's a hospital. It should have been a scalpel, but that's a whole other thing. And I I wanted to point out the oath that he swears is an allegiance to physical science and enmity against the occult and supernatural. Did that guys that strike you guys? Yeah. Yeah. I find it's interesting that we have so much supernatural stuff going around and for being a member of the keepers hook seems awfully open to it but all of the these keeper rituals seem to kind of align with stegman's thoughts already mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting then they do my favorite part they shove an apple in his mouth and cut his nose off i my note was yay they kill steg but they don't kill him <laughs> They just nearly cut his nose off. But I'm surprised there's any of it left for them since he's pretty good at cutting it off himself. Oh! Ooh! Ouch! Sick burn. (laughs) (laughs) The way they just jammed the apple in his mouth, too, I was like, oh, that is aggressive. It was very aggressive. I'm surprised Mama didn't do it. I like that they they demonstrate how sharp the knife is on a piece of paper. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This knife will cut paper. It was very reminiscent of that scene in The Bodyguard with Whitney Houston. I know the movie. I I can't think of the scene. And Kevin Costner. She's uh, playing with a sword and he takes her scarf off of her neck and gently tosses it in the air. And then it floats down and just gets sliced by the sword. Ah. It was romantic, just like that. Anyway, moving on. So (laughs) romantic. Let's talk about what Elmer is doing. We mentioned that he's getting this horrible look on his face, looking at Frankie's body. Paul. Paul. Yes. Paul. You're my movie guy. Okay. Anytime I have questions, especially not just when it comes to like trivia and stuff about movies, but about uh, like you, you can talk for a long time about the thoughts behind certain shots and compositions and things like that. I really want to hear your take on this scene. Okay, so Elmer is sneaking into the morgue. He's opening Frank's drawer, and uh, what's in his hand? Oh, that looks like maybe a hacksaw. <laughs> thank, you, thank you for that assist. You're welcome. Good old uh, first Royal Rumble winner hacksaw <laughs> Jim Duggan for you. Obviously, he's about to uh, do something with this hacksaw. But what? Well, we do a kind of a what's called a match cut where you cut to something else that is supposed to represent what is happening. And what they cut to, they cut to, to Lona cutting the head off of the bulb, off of the rose into a trash can. And, you know, the rose is kind of there to symbolize his, uh, Elmer's obsession with Lona. And so uh, next thing you know, he's got Frank's head detached from the body. Did you guys think that was the head he was going for? Wait, what? I'm curious who else it would be. Well, another head on Frankie. Wait, you thought he was going to cut off his penis to spite his face? Elmer's super creepy. And he keeps <laughs> sexually assaulting her. So yes, it would not be out of the realm of believability that he would now throw a, d- a dong oh. at her. I Okay, hold on. I want to unpack the scenario that Elmer is confronted with his dead quote-unquote twin makes Dr. Gupta leave the room and be like, well, if the face matches, I wonder, and then comparing his penis to the dead penis. You know that's how it happened. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go on a limb and say that didn't happen at all, but I do like the idea. 
This is really wild, though, because he desecrated a corpse, which is super illegal. And he's a doctor. He's not supposed to do any harm. And I assume that extends to dead bodies as well. So my question for you guys is, are the majority of these doctors just awful and they're all by coincidence congregating at this hospital or does the hospital either draw them or does it hold some sort of influence over their actions making them kind of their worst selves i'm gonna have to go with the latter of those two mostly because of the one line we get in an earlier scene with stegman where someone tells him that his career's dried up and this is the only place that would take him for some reason I I disagree. I think that Elmer doesn't really want to be a doctor here. He is because his dad's making him. So I think he, one, thinks of himself as like untouchable because his dad is the boss. And I, I just think that it doesn't mean anything to him. I don't think he holds this job or these people in any reverence. He's like just a kid in a candy store doing whatever he feels like. That makes sense, too. But we also have the cemetery in Hook's apartments, which kind of shows that this hospital is full of mishaps. Unless all hospitals are like that, and there's just not that very obvious symbol of it. <laughs> that, that is a good point. I didn't think about that. So Stegman gets stuck in an elevator, and because of the shot, it looked like it was going to take him straight down to hell. That was super cool. I really liked the fiery pit of hell in the basement. It doesn't, though. It just takes him to the old kingdom. (laughs) You almost sound disappointed. Yeah, super disappointed. (laughs) I can't even imagine why. (laughs) So let's talk about this scene. Stegman stranded in old kingdom because Paul takes the elevator right away. (laughs) That shit cracked me up. I love that he turns around and Paul's wearing the bellhop uniform and it's just like, sliding the door closed gets the fuck out of there it's great oh oh but earlier in the episode just a just a quick note of what's about to happen otto's wandering around whistling and calling for blondie because he's lost him yeah uh stegman finds him (laughs) (laughs) except for blondie's gone cujo glowing red eyes any any thoughts or ideas about what happened to this dog if he's down there, it can't be anything good, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, okay. So I I have kind of a weird theory, and I don't know if I'm stretching too hard to make this fit, but I am wondering if Stegman is only seeing what something else wants him to see. Because he sees Blondie with the glowing red eyes, starts chasing him, he lets out a hilarious scream of madness and runs through. He runs past uh, Dr. Gottreich, who's asking where the children are. And oh, you got to he... do the accent, man. You made me do it. <laughs> I, I, uh, well, I, okay, I guess I should. Where are the children? Where are they taking the children? <laughs> where are they taking the children? <laughs> Worth it. <laughs> where has the children gone? Oh, there we go. You design right. children. I'm just going to sit here and enjoy this for the rest of the night. Thank you. <laughs> Continue, please. Bring me your children. <laughs> um, and he runs past him. and he, So he's seeing all this, but then he runs directly past Mary and Peter and doesn't acknowledge them whatsoever. Yeah. 
And so that that makes me think that maybe if it, it's Paul doing it or whatever that evil energy in the kingdom is, it's only confronting him with things to scare him and drive him further mad. I'd buy it. I just, I do love the look on Peter and Mary's face when he goes by and they just watch him go by and they're like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> let's keep looking, let's keep looking for uh, Antipas. Yeah, you don't see that every day, do you? <laughs> We're back in New Kingdom briefly, very briefly. The, I'm curious your thoughts about the scene because maybe I'm being too hard on it, but I was a little disappointed. Uh, Doctor, uh, So Elmer convinces Dr. Gupta to deliver this package, this bag with Frank's head in it to so, Dr. Which Massingale. is a bowling ball bag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't go the way Elmer or I thought that it would go. <laughs> I also want to point out why I don't think this would this would have worked the way Elmer wanted it to anyway. Originally, he he gives the bag to Dr. Gupta and he says, tell her that I said it was the only answer to my philosophical problem. And instead, Gupta hands her the bowling ball bag and says, Elmer told me to give this to you, <laughs> which directly implies that Elmer handed this to him so it could not be Elmer's head inside. Still gross. Still would be scary. But I don't think she would think it was Elmer, given that right relay of information. Yeah. So this, what I'm saying is this is really on Gupta for a shitty delivery. <laughs> well, and she she doesn't even open the bag. Because I, I, re- I did really like this part. Cause she's like, I don't want anything from him. Take it back. She does not care. So instead... The one person in this hospital who should not have to deal with this, <laughs> our nurse, nurse Carrie, Carrie, who can't stand the sight of blood. I'm I'm glad they so nurse Carrie shows up and says Dr. Traff said that I should try this rotation out because she's not ready for surgery and goes to hang up her coat. And to be fair, who also who goes, oh, what's in this bag and just grabs somebody's bag and opens it. That's rude, that Carrie. That is rude. Very That's rude. The worst. But I'm also really glad that we don't see her see what's inside the bag and we experience it from Elmer's perspective in the hallway when he hears the scream and goes and is like, uh-oh. And then <laughs> Nurse Carrie screams and then the head rolls into the hallway and he freaks the fuck out. Just runs down the hall and picks it up. <laughs> But why does he freak out? Like, did he, what did he want to happen? What was the end game here? Yeah, I, I don't understand how he didn't see who saw it at any point and he freaks out. So how, how has this plan gone any more awry than the plan that he had already had in his head? He doesn't appreciate that she desecrated the corpse by throwing a head on the ground. That's just rude. <laughs> so he <laughs> instead shows it the proper respect and puts it in a locker. <laughs> as one does can I just say <laughs> basement jacks where's your head at what a wonderful choice oh, so divine fucking brilliant <laughs> let's talk about that because we cut down back to old kingdom and Peter is following Mary down the hall of screams and she is taking him to Aunt Bear so that he can help him and the, okay so Mary tells this was like I guess such a kid thing maybe this kind of rambling because Peter's like, what's going on? And she's like, this is 
ant bear. He eats disease and likes to be scratched behind the ears. I thought that was adorable. <laughs> she called him horrible and beautiful. Yeah. yeah. That was kind of a nice moment. My problem with that moment is the little girl playing Mary is the worst actress alive. What? At least in this scene. Her fake crying just threw me off so bad. <laughs> yeah, I, I will say the going from absolutely nothing to full-on sobbing is just, it's too jarring to ever be natural. She's a total Kenny in this scene. I was trying to think, I, I saw she was in something else that I liked her, and now I can't remember what it was. Dark Matter. No. She's amazing in Dark Matter. But she's a, and she's a full-grown adult in Dark Matter. Josh, ghosts can't get older. touche so peter does save ant bear not only does he lift the bar off of him freeing him he gives him a blood transfusion i i like that moment the i didn't expect it no yeah but uh this and this also kind of supports my my psychic magic in the the in-between world we have so many locations to deal with in kingdom hospital because we have the, we have the hospital, we have the old kingdom, but we also have the psychic spiritual in-between in the old kingdom that exists between heaven and hell, where we like, that's what we see in the elevator. Peter lifts the pipe off of him and remembers Antibus saying, uh, I do you a solid, you do me a solid, that's how it works. And he just pulls his IV out and he sticks it in Antibus. And the blood, like you see the blood come through and it just enters Antibus and it starts healing him. And I think that goes back to support that. Uh, and it's a very Stephen King, the psychic magic of if you believe something will work, it will work. Yeah. So the firm belief that by doing this, I'm giving some of my life to this creature works almost instantly and, and heals Antibus. Because the only other option is that Peter has magic blood and they need to pump that guy if that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> well, he did give birth to the indestructible cheerleader. Yeah, it all on. checks out. <laughs> no, that would be like the next year or two after this. So she's already out in the world somewhere. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's talk about our basement jack scene because it was awesome. <laughs> I want to, okay, I want to point out one thing that I thought was absolutely amazing. I love that it just, the song keeps playing, but only when we cut back. Yes. As we go back and forth to the headless body searching for its head, there's a point where the headless body is banging against the locker that the head is in, and it is the exact same framing, exact same shot as episode one when we see Elmer standing there banging his head against his own locker. Oh, I missed that. Oh, wow. That is so cool. Oh, uh, that's a fucking great touch. Good find, Josh. Thanks. Well, um, something, I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast. Stephen King said that they, they didn't shoot Kingdom Hospital like you do a traditional series where you're mostly focused on episode at a time. They shot this entire series as a movie. So they had the entire shooting schedule for all 13 episodes at the start and jumped around every single bit of the show. Yeah. Cause he had every single episode written and handed into ABC before they greenlit it, which wow. is incredible. That's insane. 
So while Frankie's looking for his head, and I think I'm going to start to really like Frankie if he <laughs> continues to be in the show. <laughs> He's becoming my favorite. Sally is swinging her crystal, and she makes it to Peter's room where Rolf is waiting for her. But luckily, she can just take off immediately because Peter drew, not only did he draw a picture of Mary, but he wrote Mary on it. So she's got what she needs. I thought that was great. Like, a great use of the of bringing back the fact that he's an artist. Yeah. And using just that little movement of his hand to... To convey it. But I do love that Sally's like, your name's Mary. What's your last name? Fuck, Sally. (laughs) (laughs) Be grateful for what you have. Well, in her defense, if Peter's going to go through all that trouble to draw a picture and write Mary, can you put her last name? (laughs) I guess. In in her middle and her social. (laughs) Yeah. Date of birth, next of kin. Where to find her name. Previous job experience. So then we get this like cat and mouse scene between Rolf and Sally, which takes 40 minutes because, you know, Rolf is in here because he murdered a bunch of people. He sucks as a murderer. Is he? Okay. And why is he not handcuffed to anything? Seriously. He is a criminal. (laughs) This is a major problem. Now, uh, we don't really get a lot into... Rolf's like we know he's a murderer we know he killed people all that but Peter when he is in his head speaking to Natalie refers to Rolf as a pyro so is he an arsonist and that's how he killed all those people was like Mm -hmm. he burned down a place and there were six people in the building maybe I don't know I wondered that too but the way they portrayed him I envisioned him as a hands-on killer I wonder if we're gonna get well, you know what? We're not. I don't think we're going to get any new information on Rolf after this episode. Possibly, but I mean, he he could end up in the old kingdom. We could find out all about him. Very true. There is a something cool that happens in this. I just really enjoyed this. Sally runs off into the bathroom in the room because a nurse is coming in, and so Rolf has to jump back into bed. And then that all happens, and he's going to go to the bathroom to get her after the nurse leaves. But when he opens the door, it's not Sally standing there. It's our monochrome doctor. Man, uh, this show makes me ask so many questions to myself because right before, Dr. Gottreich is evil. Hands down. Bad dude. Tortured children, experimented on them. We know this. Right before he shows up, he shows up to be interposed to stop Rolf from getting to Sally. Sally hides in the bathroom and then prays for help and Gottreich shows up and it's after he sees Gottreich asking him these questions, asking where Paul went. He turns around to see that Paul is gone, turns around. Dr. Gottreich's gone. Sally's still right there in the bathroom. And he's just like, not too weird. Closes the door (laughs) and goes back. More like Dr. Godright. Am I right? (laughs) Oh my God. No, he hurt children. CM. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Not a kid person. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> Terrible justification. <laughs> Terrible. Uh, don't feel bad, Sam. I'm not a kid person either. <laughs> How many do you have? Uh, two. <laughs> <laughs> so Rolf is done with Sally, and he's just going to go for Peter. He's going to torch him, and he's got 
He has the alcohol and he has the match. But unfortunately for him, Ant Bear causes a hysterical mishap and Ralph sets himself on fire instead. And this was really, really cool. And I love stunt guys doing fire stuff because it's so awesome. I love that the orderly calls for a code red. Yeah. <laughs> and nobody runs in there to, to douse him. And then in the middle of him burning and still flailing, he says code blue. He's not dead yet. <laughs> I'm surprised they oh, didn't God. play the roof is on fire. <laughs> yeah i i love that scene that was super cool i i didn't know what to expect but i did not expect him setting himself on fire that shit was great so good we do check back in before this episode wraps with our seismologist who is getting drunk in a way that i don't think i've ever observed a living human get drunk this is the way this guy's behaving is bonkers. And I know if Ben was here, he would laugh and say that it was terrible acting, but I was so in it. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was definitely uh, better than Mary's crying. So I'll give it that. <laughs> it, man, I just, I felt so bad. I feel, I feel so bad for this character. I mean, I know we don't know much about him, but like, and I get that at the top, we, he's 30 days sober. And he's being really cocky about it. Right. But you still don't, no matter how cocky he's being, you don't want to see somebody fall off the wagon that hard. And he drinks himself to the point of, uh, of hallucinations, is what the, uh, the EMTs say. Well, and his first hallucination is he's still in his hotel room. It's before the ambulance comes to get him. And he sees Mary trapped in his wine bottle. So again, this something from the hospital is able to extend itself outward to other places. So that's kind of interesting. And then he has this episode. I love it because it ends on the coolest freak out scene as he's being wheeled through the hospital. And it's does some stuff that spooks me the fuck out. (laughs) It was, it was very Jacob's ladder. Yeah. So as he's being wheeled through, Uh, This mother comes in with her twin girls and Elmer's there talking to him. So there's all this kind of like there's movement, there's commotion. Other people are in this area and he is lying on his back and looks up and Nurse Carrie is crawling with him on the ceiling, which is Nightmare City right there. I hate that. Yeah, it is. (laughs) And then he sees he passes the twins and they're like ghost girls And Elmer's head pops into his field of vision and he does that really rapid shaky head thing, which I can't stand. Things crawling at me quickly and shaking their head rapidly freaks me out. I did not know that about you. Yeah, that's ghost movies get me when they do that. And it seems so cheap, but I just can't deal with it. (laughs) (laughs) And so based on what we have seen of Kingdom Hospital so far... Richard has, the scientist, has the only normal reaction of anyone brought to this hospital. He does not want to be here and he's freaking out. (laughs) Just screams, just screams, and then finds himself in the psychic realm of the old kingdom, hearing his own manic screams echo in his ears. You guys, I don't know if you listened to the episode of Drinking Age movies that Josh and I were a guest on, but it was a blast and it was a lot of fun. And they have a really cool format that I like. You know, we talk about plot points. 
when we do movies or series and drinking age movies gets into this really awesome detail about, you know, the behind the scenes and the production and actors and all that stuff. So, Paul, will you just share a couple interesting tidbits about Kingdom Hospital that we haven't talked about? Oh, sure. As you mentioned in the first episode, this is based off a Danish TV series called The Kingdom that was written and directed by a filmmaker named Lars von Trier, who, if you didn't know in the show, the uh, nurse Carrie's last name is von Trier. I didn't make that connection Me until neither. just this moment. <laughs> Lars von Trier did two seasons of the show. The first season was cut down into a five-hour movie that was released in the UK and the US. And that's the uh, the version that Stephen King saw that made him obsessed with this idea. They were going to do a third episode, but the main actor died after the second season. Whoa. So the Danish Broadcasting Corporation didn't pick it back up. And apparently the notes for the third season were sent to Stephen King once they uh, acquired the rights to the movie, the material. So Stephen King found this while working on The Shining and him and the Carl Liner, the producer, two of them wanted to get the rights, but the rights were owned by Columbia. And Columbia uh, decided after five years of trying that they were going to give Stephen King the rights if he would give them the rights to one of his stories. Would you like to take a guess of what that story is? Oh, God. Uh, so it's post-Shining. Oh, God, I, well, I don't even know why I'm asking. I don't know when anything came out. <laughs> Stand by me? No, that came out like two decades before this, dude. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> Green Mile. Good guess, but no. Uh, it was Secret Window, Secret <gasps> Garden, which got oh. turned into Secret Window. Oh. Which, of course, was written and directed by David Kep, co-writer of Jurassic Park, the movie. <laughs> Perfect. I always got to bring Jurassic Park as, up. As you should. Uh, and then uh, I guess the last two little pieces I'd like to throw out real quick are, Steve, it was Stephen King's idea to make this a 13-episode show instead of a 22-episode show, because he was really liking what HBO was doing with The Wire and uh, The Sopranos. With their short seasons. And he wanted more time to watch them, so he had to be done with this. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they're great shows. Why wouldn't you? And uh, the director of this was a man named, of every episode, is a man named Craig R. Baxley, who also directed the uh, miniseries Rose Red. Really? It's I... the same director? Same director, two years later. Oh my wow. gosh. He also directed Storm of the Century, which is a miniseries I have a huge fan of. I love that too. Wow, I can't believe he directed these two things and Rose Red. <laughs> what did he have like a was he injured when he was doing Rose Red or uh I, I will tell you that these two things are kind of the highlights of his career. If you go look at anything else he's directed, you will understand why Rose Red is the way it is. <laughs> and these are the outliers. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, um, Paul, thank you so much for joining us as our special guest. You're our very first guest on a Dairy Public Radio episode proper, so thank you. Wow, I'm honored, actually. I Wow, I, I don't even have words. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, uh, do you want to take a quick second and plug where people can find you if they want to check out more of your stuff? Uh, yes, sure. Uh, you can find me on uh, Instagram at Father of the Fear. You can find me on Twitter at DA Movies Pod, and you can find me on Letterboxd at Letterboxd, that's B O X D dot com slash vaudevillian. Yeah, and you can check out uh, Drinking Age Movies uh, that currently we're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, 
and a couple other platforms. But hey, if you listen to this and you can't find us on your platform, please find me at those places online and let me know and we will get it there for you, just for you. Will you uh, quick recap the the premise of Drinking Age Movies? Oh, yes. Uh, Our show is a show that takes a look at films from 21 years ago that have now just reached Drinking Age, and we discuss their impact on pop culture and filmmaking today. I I, lo- I love your show. I love the concept of it. Uh, like CM said, if if anybody hasn't listened to it, go check it out. Uh, especially check out our episode where CM and I had to go through experiencing apt pupil again <sighs> with Paulo. <laughs> so it was great. It was so much fun. <laughs> to make it up for you, please please come on for the Green Mile. I don't think we have a, a guest for that. <laughs> oh, nice. Perfect. Yeah. Done. <laughs> That's it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us for our next episode, where we cover episode seven, Black Noise. For CM Alexander and Paul Workman, I'm Joshua Kahn reminding you, warlocks never painted death threats on my car. Hey everyone, CM Alexander here. Thank you for listening to part six of Kingdom Hospital. We hope you enjoyed it. I want to give a special shout out to Paul Workman for being our very first Dairy Public Radio guest. He did an awesome job and we had so much fun recording with him. If you can't get enough of Paul, you can find him at Drinking Age Movies on Facebook. It is a fun, amazing podcast. Please check it out. As always, you can find us on social media at Dairy Public Radio or send us an email at dairypublicradio at gmail.com. We speculate a ton about this episode, and we would love to know what you guys think of it. We love hearing from you. And we wish Ben the best of luck with his teeth. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye.